listening to Law and Gospel, where we take a look at the readings for the following Sunday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and today is Monday, April the 20th in the year of our Lord, 2020. So we got a lot of 20s, 2020, 20. And there are various readings for this third Sunday of Easter. Uh, one of the readings is from Acts. During the Easter season, we don't do an Old Testament reading. We read from Acts. The epistle is from 1 Peter, and the gospel is from Luke 24. Boy, there's about 10 possible sermons. I, I could do three alone just on Luke 24, and that is, of course, the road to Emmaus experience. There's so much there to look at. First uh, Peter talks quite a bit about purifying your souls, and we're going to take a look at the first reading, Acts chapter 2. Now, in the reading, we start with 14a and then skip all the way to verse 36, and I'll explain why in a moment. Acts chapter 2 is best known as the coming of the Holy Spirit namely Pentecost. And beginning with verse 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Israel and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let these be known to you and heed my words. So the first verse in the reading is that verse, part of it. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Then Peter goes through the sermon, quoting the prophet Joel, talking about, finally, Jesus Christ, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Talks a little bit about David, and then we get to verse 36, and that's really where the reading uh, begins. And here we go with verse 36, explaining what Peter is saying. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. Wow. The word Lord, curious, is often used for God. And the word God at the beginning is theos, where we get the word theology, words from or about God or of God. And that's God the Father has made this same Jesus. And that word means Jehovah is salvation or Yahweh is salvation, the name for God, whom you have crucified. He's made him both Lord and Christ. Now, that's really important. Because it's not that God made Jesus Lord and Christ. What the word made there means 
that he performed the work of Lord and Christ. Lord, from the beginning of creation, he was decided to be the one that would come. First Peter talks about that. With the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sakes. So that's really important, that before the foundation of the world was even created by God in seven 24-hour days, guess what? Jesus, the Holy Trinity, had decided he would be the one to become incarnate and come into the world. So that's how Peter is ending his sermon, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, what's the reaction of the people? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, the King James has that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Now, that word can also be translated as pierced. It refers to a sharp pain. And I guess these people had come to faith by the Holy Spirit and realized that they had definitely killed the Messiah. Now, this is law, but law is very important because you and I put to death the Messiah every day when we sin by thought, word, or deed. What does that mean? We put him aside because every sin is an idolatrous action against the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Interestingly, in the recent edition of the Lutheran Witness, they talked about fasting. And President Harrison made some great points in his uh, opinion piece, where fasting doesn't mean just stopping from eating food. It could be fasting of anything that at times addicts you to sin. So you could be fasting from perhaps not using your phone during a period of time, or for teenagers and younger people uh, not doing all these games all the time and doing that and hardly anything else. Uh, we're told that in school, many of the kids are still on their phones. They need to fast from those. And the purpose for fasting, as President Harrison points out, is not to make yourself look better to God. No, it's to put down your old Adam and remind him that you too have often crucified the Lord by rejecting his will. So 
when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart or cut to the heart. And they asked, what shall we do? Now, the word do often is something that a human being does. And it's somewhat interesting that when the people ask this, what shall they do? Well, they're looking, let's put it this way. Every religion believes there's something you do to get right with God. Peter surprises them. Verse 38, Acts 2. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't tell it from the English, but it's often important grammatically how a word is from a grammatical point of view. And this word, yes, it's an imperative. Namely, here's what God is willing you, but the word itself, we call it an aorist passive. And the important point to remember is a passive. What does that mean? That's not something that you do, but it's something that's done to or for you. So a good example of the active and passive, if you're going to the grocery store, you could say, I drove myself to the grocery store. That would be an active. You're doing the deed. But if someone else is driving and you're sitting in the back seat for the trip, you could say, I was driven to the grocery store. And that would be a passive. You weren't doing the driving, but the driving was a benefit for you. So Peter says, repent. Now, what does that word repent mean? It's the proper word for repent. It's the work of the law where we are contrite over our sin and we wish we hadn't done it. Repentance means we take full credit for our sin. But then he says, and be baptized every one of you. But how are you to be baptized? in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we just say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, The name of Jesus Christ here would refer to what the name stands for. In other words, the name is used for everything which the name covers. And what does the name Jesus cover? It refers to being covered by the name of the Holy Trinity. That's why in Matthew 28, Jesus says, be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, For example, 
you may be wanting to go somewhere and it's restricted. But then you say, well, I'm representing or I was sent by so-and-so. And as soon as they hear that name, oh, well then come on in. So the name has power and benefits. His name is Jesus. His title is Christ. And that's Christus, which is the Greek word for Messiah. And what's the purpose? This is really important. The purpose is for the forgiveness of sins. It also can be translated to be baptized into the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, that's why Matthew 28 is best translated, not be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You become part of the family. And what do you get? You get, according to the ESV, the forgiveness of sins. The uh, King James talks about the remission of sins. And that remission, that word or forgiveness means release from imprisonment. So if somebody gets released from prison, that would be that they are remitted of their sins. And the word for sin that Peter uses is hamartia. Now, why do I mention that? Well, there's different words for sin. Transgression, sin, hamartia. What does hamartia mean? You're shooting at a target. It's got a bullseye. When you do a hamartia, you just don't hit the target and miss the bullseye. You miss the target. You fall short of the target with your arrow. And that's what that sin is, hamartia. We fall short of the will of God. We don't even get near it because we are born as sinners. But through faith in baptism that we receive, we get two gifts, the remission of sins and you shall, and the word here is important, receive. It doesn't say, and you will be able to accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. No, it's kind of like at Christmas. A child gets a present. What is that present? Something he earned? Something he bought? No. It's something that is given. And therefore, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift is a free gift. In fact, one can talk about Christianity as being a gift religion. And what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And at times... It's really important to understand that, that your body, according to Paul, becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
This gift is something no one in the Old Testament received. Now, nobody came to faith except by the power of the Holy Spirit, but nobody is said to be the temple of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times. That occurred when the temple curtain tore, God left the temple, the Holy Spirit now enters into your body. Your temple of the Holy Spirit is your body. Then we get to one of the most important words in the Bible, in verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children. Now, that word promise, epigalia, very close to the gospel, euangelion, to preach the gospel, it's an announcement of a promise that also is given, that becomes a blessing. Now, what is this promise? It's the forgiveness of sins. To whom? Well, to your children. And the word children there, and there's different words for children, is your offspring. And, and there's no distinction between an infant or a child. But that's really important to understand that in a offspring relationship, it is intimate and you receive, like from your parents, love and friendship, and you trust now your parents. So those who don't believe in infant baptism, I don't understand that because the promise is also to your children. And then it says, and to all who are afar off. What does that mean? The word far off often refers to Gentiles. Those who are near are Jews. Those who are afar off are Gentiles. So you already have in the Pentecost sermon the promise to even Gentiles. And we know that there were Gentiles at the Pentecost celebration because the disciples speaking in tongues were speaking Arabic and other tongues of Gentiles. And who particularly receives this? It says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, that word call is a word that refers to God making a decision that you will be called into his holy family. And notice, the word Lord is used, which before was referring to Jesus Christ. So, verse 40, and with many other words, Peter bore witness and to continue to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked uh, generation. The King James says, 
untoward generation. It's a metaphor referring to the perverse or wicked generation. And how does one save oneself? How do we save our infants? We bring them to the waters of baptism. And even adults can be brought to the waters of baptism. So that word to save yourself is really important. In fact, the Greek word to save is sozo, which means to be kept safe and sound and rescue from danger or destruction. So, listen to this, 21. Those who received his word, and there again we have this word receive. That is, they received what God offers by being baptized. They gladly received his word and were baptized. And how many? There were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, there's an example where the word souls is referring to the whole person. Sometimes it refers to the breath of life. Even animals are referred to as souls because God put breath into them. But 3,000 people were baptized in one day. And they were the ones who received his word. Once more, really important. The word, word, logos. And I already mentioned that earlier. Remember the word theology is made up of two Greek words. Theos, that's God. And logos means the word. So theology refers to the words from God, of God, about God, and also can refer to God himself. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. That's referring to Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because if you go down, down that particular passage in John 1, it says, and the word became flesh. Now, the Father didn't become flesh. The Holy Spirit didn't become flesh. But the second person of the Trinity became flesh. This is really important to understand. In fact, it really ties in with the gospel reading from Luke chapter 24. That when the disciples were all confused, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, why did our wonderful leader, Jesus, have to die on the cross. And what's this about him rising from the dead? They were confused, perplexed, perplexed and forlorn. What evidence did Jesus give to them to bring them out of their depression? He spoke the word from the Old Testament books, probably beginning with Genesis through the end of the Old Testament. He showed where he 
was spoken of again and again. That's the word speaking the word. So that's what Peter did. When these people at Pentecost were wondering, what are these people doing speaking in other tongues? Pharisees, the unbelievers said, well, they're drunk, but it was too early for drinking. No, he explained to them about Jesus, quoting Joel, quoting David, and many other places. So you have a friend, relative, or neighbor, and you get in a conversation with them, particularly during the virus, where people are not going to church anymore, somebody may ask you, how does it feel not being able to go to church? Well, your answer is, Jesus is still with us. He's with us when we pray. He's with us when we read the Bible. He's with us at all times. So, We've got a wonderful lesson here and the road to Emmaus. Tomorrow, with Mark Smith, we'll examine the hymn with high delight, let us unite. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.